Welcome again to another podcast of Risen Fellowship, the disciple-making uh, church. We are so glad you've uh, decided to join us. And today, this message that we're going to look at today, the scriptures, is one of the favorite passages of scriptures I find in all the Bible. And our uh, podcast today is called Logos, the Word Became Flesh. And of course, that comes from John chapter 1. And in John chapter 1, uh, it is this passage of Scripture that really deals with the beginning of Christ. And as a lot of people grow up in church as children, they hear the Christmas story, and they hear the Christmas story from the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke, which are the two Gospels that really tell about the narrative of Jesus' birth. And as a small child, by hearing that, you can begin to incorrectly believe that the beginning of Jesus' life was when he was born in Bethlehem to Joseph and Mary. Uh, now, Mark, the other gospel, literally begins at the time when Jesus becomes an adult. And so it's long after the time that Matthew and Luke start their gospel. But John even goes back further than what Matthew and Luke does with their gospel. It goes back to the very, very beginning, showing that Jesus was not, his life did not begin when he was born on this earth, but that he is eternally had no beginning, that Jesus always existed. As a matter of fact, that infant that was born and placed in that manger was the creator of the world, of the universe, of everything that we know. And the Gospel of John, really, this prologue gives a special insight to the identity of that baby in the manger. And in John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Verse 3 says, All things came into being uh, through Him, and apart from Him nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness did not comprehend it. So as we just kind of go through these uh, verses here of the prologue, Let's break it down first of all, and let's look at the reality of Jesus. And really what we see in verse 1 and 2 is that this infant is infinite. You know, as you think about this and, and what Jesus, or what the gospel writer John is saying, he was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Uh, Jesus even affirmed this in his teaching that John recorded for us later in chapter 8. He said, before Abraham was... I am, which is literally saying the term uh, that Jesus was claiming to be infinite. Matter of fact, the Jewish people that heard that realized that what Jesus was saying was using the, the term that uh, God had identified himself with Moses when Moses asked, if I am asked, who is it that sent me? Who should I say? And God said, tell them that I am sent you. So when Jesus said before Abraham was, I am, he was literally saying that he was eternal. Now, the Greek word logos is that English word that we have there when John is writing for it in the English, and we read it says, in the beginning was the word. Now, logos is a very important concept to the Greek people. It was a concept that meant that uh, that logos gave meaning to everything in the universe. The logos, as they saw it, was a bridge between uh, transcendent God and uh material universe of all the human beings that are on this world. But Jesus, uh, John takes that word about Jesus and applies it with a deeper meaning and even expands the meaning of what Jesus is. 
And we know that a word, even in English, is either an audible or a visible expression of thought. And so when we think of Jesus being the word, we realize that Jesus Christ perfectly reveals what is going on in the mind of God. Uh, the professor I had in seminary, Dr. Mac Roark, uh, gave this, this um, definition about Jesus Christ being the Word. He said, Jesus Christ is the articulation of the thought of the mind of God. So Jesus Christ is God. As we know in verse 14, it tells us that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus Christ is literally God who came to earth to be able to reveal uh, to us sinful human beings who holy God really is. And in Jesus, uh, in Revelation um, chapter 1, verse 8, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, which was the first and last letter of the Greek alphabet. And what are words made of? They're made of letters. So Jesus is the entire alphabet of what every word uh, that could be ever used on this earth to be able to reveal to us who God really is. So Jesus as the word really spells out deity. God, the nature of who God is. And the word was with God even tells us that Jesus had this closest possible relationship with God that could ever be, but it was even more than that, that it was not only a close relationship, but it goes on to say that he was God, that Jesus is not a created being. He is God himself. And verse 2 literally just repeats what verse 1 has said. He, uh, in the beginning, was with God. It's almost like sometimes we as human beings have to hear something once, twice, three times to be able to get it to soak into our mind about what it really is. And John is opening up with these verses about the Word and said he was in the beginning with God. So the infant is infinite. I mean, he had no beginning. But we also realize that this infant is also the Christ who was the creator. Verse 3 says, All things came into being by him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. And so we realize that Jesus is not the creator, but Colossians even tells us that he not only created all things by his word, but he literally upholds all things by his word. So he's not only the creator of all the universe, he is the sustainer. Everything continues because of his activity that's going on. So we see that the infinite uh, the infant is infinite. We see that Christ is the creator, but we also see that this Lord is the Lord of light and life. Verse 4 says, In him was life, and the life was the light of man, and, man, and the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness did not comprehend it, uh, comprehend him. Now, the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 1 that uh, the Bible, uh, the, the history of mankind starts in darkness. Genesis 1 2 says, uh, Now the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the darkness. To correct this, in verse 3 of Genesis 1, God said, Let there be light. And immediately there was light. Now that wasn't the light of the sun. The sun is not going to be created uh, until the fourth day. So it's not the sunlight that's there. That, that light is the presence of God, which is the life of all men. And now when we get into Genesis chapter 3, we find that there is a spiritual darkness that comes upon the world, upon all of creation, because Adam and Eve disobeyed God. 
And when they disobeyed God in sin, then darkness came upon the spiritual nature of man. And the only way that spiritual darkness can be uh, removed is for the spiritual light of Jesus Christ to penetrate that darkness and to expose the darkness and bring the light in and draw men to himself. As a matter of fact, when the light shines in the darkness, one of two things will happen. You'll find out that everything uh, on earth is one of two things. It's either a moth or it's a cockroach. And if the light shines in the darkness, if it's a cockroach, it will run and hide because it hates the light. And if it's a moth, the moth will be attracted to the light. And so when the spiritual light of the, of the world, Jesus Christ, is shined out in the world, either by our words or our deeds or just by even reading the Word of God, we will be able to discern whether the people that are hearing it, the things that are around it, are cockroaches and hiding, or whether they're moths and coming to the light. Um, the problem is that today, and we just uh, celebrated Christmas a month ago, uh, just as there was no room for Jesus in the inn when he was born in Bethlehem, the world doesn't make room for Jesus in the world today. This verse in verse 5 says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. The word comprehend literally means to lay hold of, or to seize, or to grasp. And the world can't seem to grasp the thought that Jesus is the life and the light of man. Darkness and light are mutually exclusive of one another. They cannot coexist with one another in the same place. The light will dispel the darkness, but darkness will not understand who the Lord is and let him into their life. They literally let the word of God, which is the light of the world, slip through their fingers and miss what God has for them. Uh, verse 6 through 8 literally just talks about John the Baptist and how John the Baptist came to bear witness of the light. He wasn't the true light, but he came to bear witness of the light, which is literally telling us that, Jesus, that John the Baptist was like the conduit of allowing the power of the light of the world to be able to come in and perform his ministry. Because verse 9 says, there was the true light, not John's light, but the true light, Jesus Christ, coming into the world who enlightens every man. The world doesn't comprehend the light and the life that comes through Jesus Christ, but Jesus is coming as the light of the world, and when you see that light, it can bring you from the darkness into the light, into uh, a new reconciled relationship with Jesus Christ. And John later writes about this theme about the light and darkness in chapter 3 when he said, and this is the judgment that light is coming to the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest their deeds should be exposed. So people in this world are going to love one or the other. They can't straddle the fence. They can't uh, have it both ways. They're going to love one or the other. They're going to love the darkness or they're going to love the light. And if they love the light, they find the life that Jesus Christ or that God has for them through Jesus Christ. So that's the reality of Jesus Christ. The infant is infinite. Christ is the creator, and the Lord is the light and the life. Now, the rest of these verses really give us the responses that are possible to Jesus Christ. But the first thing we see in verse 10 is that Emmanuel is ignored. John writes this, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. And just as we get so preoccupied with all the 
tinsel and the trimmings of Christmas, it's easy to just blow right past the birth of Emmanuel, which literally means God is with us. Everything uh, that starts in this world starts with that truth that Jesus Christ was in the world. For 33 years, as verse 14 states, he dwelt among us. And that word dwelt means that he came and he pitched his tent among us. But the majority of the world will never recognize him for who he really is. As a matter of fact, when we look at that story of Jesus' birth, Herod hated him. The scribes literally ignored him. And just the common folk, there was no room for him in their inn in the world. It was only a few lowly shepherds, a few wise men, the poor and the foreigners who recognized him. And not much has changed in our world today because we see all these uh, pictures and portraits of the birth of Christ at Christmas, but we just literally see things being uh, slowly just drifting away where more and more the nativities are being put up. And you see all these different light shows that are happening and all the music that goes along with them. And it's just slowly, slowly taking Christ out of the meaning of Christmas. And um, there's an interesting story about um, a man that's celebrating Christmas. And this was back in 1932 when uh, Robert McGimsky was attending a, a Christmas Eve service somewhere in New York City. And when it was over, he was walking down the streets, headed back to his one-room apartment. And as he walked by the final blocks, uh, he passed by some open doors of a private club where people were uh, partying with all their might. They didn't seem to have a clue. Uh, McGimsky thought of what Christmas Eve was really about, about the birth of the Savior. And he said if they did, it was as though they didn't even care what the meaning of Christmas was about. And as he stepped over people who had passed out on the sidewalks uh, from being drunk, he thought to himself, what a strange way to celebrate the birth of the most perfect person who ever lived on this earth. People are missing the whole significance of his life, is what he thought to himself. And when he arrived home, he quickly got uh, just an envelope. He couldn't even find a piece of paper, but he found an envelope, and he began to scribble words on the back of that envelope. And those words later formed a song that he wrote called Sweet Little Jesus Boy. And some of those words say, Sweet Little Jesus Boy, born in a manger, sweet little holy child, we didn't know who you was, didn't know that you had come to save the world, Lord, to take us our sins away. Our eyes were blind, we didn't see, we didn't know who you was. So don't ignore this Jesus Christ, the light of the world, as many of the people are ignoring him when Jesus was born and even in the world today. Uh, Don't let Christmas fly right by you without grasping hold of Emmanuel, God is with us. Now verse 11, John writes for us that this revealer is rejected. See, some were apathetic about Christ. and and ignored the Christ of Christmas. Others literally just rejected him outright. Verse 11 says, He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. You know, home is the place where you go, and they have to take you in because they're family. And Jesus came to those who should have known him the best because God had provided for them the prophets to tell them how Messiah was going to come. They should have recognized him. But when he came, they had absolutely nothing to do with him. They rejected him completely. They should have been able to understand God's word and received him. But when Messiah came to deliver his people, man, 
they not only didn't receive him, they just completely rejected him, which means they drove him away. It isn't just like they passively said, oh, that's Jesus. I'll just, I don't want that. I mean, they literally despised and hated him. And that's not just a historical observation. That's a theological statement that few will ever enter into that small gate that leads to eternal life. And it seems like the majority will take that broad gate and the broad way that leads to destruction. And they do that because they reject the light. And no one can come to the light unless the Spirit of God is first drawing them. And so when Christ begins to, uh, the, the Word, the message of Christ begins to touch your heart, just start beginning to ask God, is this real? What does this really mean to me? What reaction do I need to have? Don't just ignore Him. Don't reject Him. Because this Redeemer, and this is the last response that people can have, after ignoring or rejecting, this Redeemer must be received. Uh, one of the greatest verses in the Bible to me is John chapter 1, verse 12, that says, But to as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Real quickly, there's three key words there. The first word is receive. It's an active word with a very deep meaning. It means the people who receive him welcome Christ into their lives. They, they freely are receiving what has been offered to them by the grace of God. A, a man at Duke University said, we are better givers than getters, not because we are generous people, but because we are proud people. The Christmas story is not about how blessed it is to be givers, even though we know that Jesus thought it's better to give than to receive. But when you're talking about the Christ, the life and the light of the world, you have to be ready to receive him. And that is an active uh, response to welcoming him into our lives. And the Christmas story is about how essential it is to see ourselves as needy people who must receive God's precious gift. So the first word is receive, the second word is believe, and that means to engage our total being so that we can put our complete trust and faith in Jesus Christ, surrendering our lives to Him as Lord. It's not just an intellectual sin of knowing that Jesus Christ lived. It's not even an emotional response of uh, breaking down and feeling sorry for your sins and maybe even crying. It's a full commitment to Jesus Christ being Lord of your life. And the third word is the word right, which means an honor. It means a privilege. Verse 13 says, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. The moment that you surrender to Christ as the only way to be brought back to God, he gives you the privilege. He gives you the honor of being his child. You see, salvation doesn't run automatically from one generation to the other. If you are fortunate enough to be brought up in a spiritual Christian home, there's a lot better chance for you to come to the knowledge of truth. But just because your parents are saved doesn't mean you are going to be saved. You have to make that own commitment of receiving Christ into your life and surrendering to him as Lord. Because God doesn't, he saves individuals. He doesn't save groups of people. He doesn't save uh, congregations. He doesn't save denominations. 
Just because your name's on the roll of a church doesn't mean it's on the uh, roll of heaven. You have to literally put your name there by being born of God. And that being born of God really conveys that the gospel is a salvation of the Lord and by the Lord, and it is a free gift and totally of grace. It's not a joint effort. It's not where God does his part and you do your part. As a matter of fact, if you do your part, the only thing you can do to be saved is to bring your sinfulness, your hopelessness, and bring that you are lost in your sins, you're dead in your trespasses, and allow God to reach down and touch your life and change you from the inside out. Salvation is a work of God from the beginning to the completion, and it's wrapped up in the death, the birth, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The real meaning of Christmas is not focused on what you know but on whom you know. The real meaning of Christ is not about information, it's about transformation. And we have enough data that's been given to us by God to be able to understand. We just need the courage to commit. And the last four verses of this prologue of John 1, 1 through 18, begins in, in 14, and it says, "'And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, "'and we beheld His glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. Verse 16 says, For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any, any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. Jesus Christ is the Word of God, who was with God from the beginning, who was God, and he became flesh and dwelt among us, and he has explained to us who God is. You have all the information you need. Now will you surrender your life to allow that transformation to take place in your life to let you become a child of God through the grace of Jesus Christ? I hope and pray that this... 18 verses and running through it real quick has inspired you, challenged you. And if you have any questions or any concerns, please just text them to me, email them to me at mike at risen.church. I would love to hear from you. And if this has meant something to you to change your life, please let me know that too. I thank you for tuning in. Have a blessed day and see you next time.